Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Kyle Lang is a helicopter pilot in West Texas. He pretty much is eyes in the sky when it comes to high fence, game management, translocation of animals, all sorts of things. And so I wanted his perspective because he's been in the game for almost 30 years, about 26 years, flying helicopters. And as such, he has a very unique perspective on high fence hunting and high fence operations. Let me say it's probably a better uh, term or phrase of his unique perspective. It's a very unique perspective. And that's why I had to put a headset on Kyle when we got out of the helicopter from him taking us around some high fence places. Six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. All right. That's why if I speak up the correct amount. Or this is your softly. second podcast ever? Ever. I had some friends that were, we were talking about hunting pigs. And it was interesting. So you just talk. This is what it is. That This is what an audio podcast <laughs> is, which is the best thing. It's a conversation. And I wish... The helicopter flight that we took this morning, I could have recorded all of that. So, within two minutes of us meeting, 
you were already into the whole like hunting ethics yes. component, mm-hmm. giving me a piece of your mind. And I did. I told you, told you you're going to get to see a lot of uh, different folks and the different people trying to do different things. And you're going to see these these game ranches. You're going to see people that 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 are uh, understand the soils. They understand the plants that they got, and they understand how many animals they need to be have. They understand, you know, what do you you need to put age on a deer to make them mm-hmm. get them mature. You need to have your your numbers correctly so you don't eat your ground down. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then you. But you're saying things that I would say the majority of people that say people who own high fences. Don't do any of that. Some there, there's some that do and some that don't. You know, and that's the tr- that, that's okay, the trouble. So there's a fine line. Before you answer that question, yeah. let's introduce yourself. My name is Kyle Lang. What do you do, Kyle? I'm from Mertzen Tech. I'm f- I am a helicopter pilot and a game ranch owner. <laughs> but you've been pretty much in the game capture business April for how long? 1994. So you have seen. The tech, you've seen Texas change and boom. I drive down roads that didn't have a deer proof for a decade and sitting there going, man, if there were high fences here, I could sell these people black buck and I could sell them stuff. And now those places are high fenced. You know what I mean? It's what I had a dream of in 1994 of flying other little game ranches because there might be, you know, the county we're in right now had five of them and now they've got, you know, 50 of them. Mm-hmm. And and you we you t- we talked about the Tecoskeet Ranch down there at Eagle Pass uh, in Aquamado down there, and I talked about, you know, I've got a picture of me 20 years ago holding a gimsbok yearling on the back of a four wheeler because you know we were catching animals down there, catching lots of scimitars, and you know they've there's probably 400 head down there, and you mm-hmm. said there still is, yeah. You know what I mean? So so at Mr. Phillips that that country 400 down head there, when 25 years ago, yeah, they probably you know he may have had. He's always head. had a bunch, but he's always every year, you know, there he's had a multiple game capture people come down there. So he he was probably catching two three hundred a year off of there. Probably produced twenty five hundred three thousand in that time in that frame. Time and frame, and then they're scattered all over Texas because I remember I had friends that I was helping catch them, and we you know, I I sold some to people from you know from north of here to south of here to to here. So the the game ranch thing is is really 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 taken off. So back to the back to the perception thing. A lot of people in your opinion, let me ask this. In your opinion, is it the majority of individuals that have high fence look after the land? Yes. You the, say that so light. And I said it so light because I, my problem is is you I You'll get to learning me. I'll have two conversations going on at the same time. One in your brain and one that's coming out of your mouth? <laughs> yes, that one too. Here's the problem that happens with game ranches and that a small percentage of them. See, this was Cal's family ranch, his wife's family's ranch. Correct. So he's he's built it in the fact that he's going to stick with it. You get a lot of people that buy ranches and they've made a lot of money in a business and they're probably in their getting in their 60s or older, and this is their retirement play toy. Okay. The biggest thing with the game ranch, it's more fun to build it and they maintain it. 
So what you would Sorry see to say a lot it's it's more fun, fun to, to build, build it than a game ranch maintain than maintain it. it. Gotcha. It's more more fun to sit in that office. And go, man, this weekend I've got a guy delivering some fallow deer. Woohoo! We get to watch the fallow deer get unloaded. Or we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, I bought some feeders. Well, but we're going to clear this over here and we're going to put a field in here. And I bought a blind over here. And right. We're going to do all all this. And then it gets to where now maintaining something isn't as fun as is building it. So then you know, five always the term with most game ranches I would see that would come up quickly or was that that scenario would sell probably within five to seven years, which is a realtor's dream. You know, every five years he gets to get a commission, Right. <laughs> but, but more fun to build it than maintain it. So, and that's the problem is, is they had no animal concept of, of they dumped out too much stuff. And next thing you know, they went from, a, Oh, I can handle a $20,000 feed bill to now they're handling a $70,000 feed bill to every time they go to the ranch, something's dead and it, it pisses them off because it's no fun no more because mm-hmm. you know God, there's eight grand laying mm-hmm. there and then the next weekend they come in there's another eight grand laying there so it 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 takes a lot of money to to main, maintain one um and then you get a new person comes in and i'm gonna fix this you know and i'm gonna manage this different than the next guy and f- five years later he's bored of it too you know what i mean and wants to move on and and most of them go I want to buy a lake house because I don't want any maintenance. I'm okay with a boat mm-hmm. giving me about twenty grand a year, but but that's the that's the issue you get into. And there's you'll you'll go around and you'll see some game ranches that have been kept and been maintained, and those those people had a little more of a um, uh, animal husbandry right um, in them than the people that don't have any animal husbandry and just uh, went on a trip to Africa. And said, "I want my ranch to look this when they come home." So let me the the other you know there's a number of stigmas tied to high fence hunting. Mm-hmm. Or let me just say a high fence property. I wouldn't say high fence hunting. One of those stigmas is that you have a high fence property because all you like to do is kill things. Okay, and here's why you have the high fence property. Period. End of discussion. Is it because you don't want your neighbor to shoot your stuff? Period. Period. That is a very, <laughs> that's it, very. That's it. I mean, you, you're sitting there and you sit in your deer feeder and you watch it go off and there's three deer there. And then you've been watching like, I'm going to let that buck pass. Or, man, uh, there's a nice little eight. He's three years old. I'm going to let him pass. Because, you know, you'd like to, you know, in the wild and in, in this county, if you get, a, you know, most of them, four-year-olds is about where they get. Other than that, you're going to look at two and threes. But you're sitting there looking at those nice two and three-year-olds, and all of a sudden the weekend rolls by and you hear this boom, boom next door. And then, you know, a week later you go sit the blind there and you're looking and there's that doe and yearling. and you never see those two bucks again. Mm-hmm. And once that happens to you a couple times, and you realize that your people next door aren't on the same management scheme as you, mm-hmm. up the fence. Because mm-hmm. I want to look at my stuff. And right. then then the problem now is, is now that you've fenced it, now that you're going to feed it, everybody's like, well, I'm going to make the horns bigger. Well, the first thing you do when you put feed out is you cause the mama to have a healthy baby. And she's going right. to raise both of them. That's right. So now you're looking at a... Uh, uh, you know, everybody says, "Well, if you put that fence up, you're not going to have as many deer." Oh my gosh, they're so wrong. And it's so, th- let me ask this: in your opinion, because you've obviously flown this country, you've flown Texas country for 25 years. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I hear a lot about high fence is that you're limiting the ability of native species to move around. 
And so I think there's that a genetic f- question. More no, or I less? don't think it's a genetic question. I think it's a pure physical question. It's a physical barrier. Right. In your opinion, how true is that statement? And I think they're speaking specifically to whitetail. Because everything else, coyotes, coons, armadillos, yeah. that stuff's moving around uh, the landscape. It's squeezing through the fence you yeah. know, daily. Uh, you, you, we'll go, let's go, we'll, we'll talk about where we're at right now. We're in San Angelo, Texas, and we talk about we're going to go fly a 2,500-acre piece. Yep. And we'll go fly, we could fly three of them today, and we'll average seeing on that 2,500 acres, we could see anywhere from 25 to 50 deer. And then you go to that same 2,500 acres, it's deer-proofed, that, that, that has a, a feeding program, and we'll see three times that many. And you'll see the age class. You'll be flying across that 2,500 acres over that's low-fenced, and you're sitting there going, you know, wow, I, we only saw two deer over the age of four. You know what I mean? And, we saw, and then you go into the deer-proof, you're, you've, you've controlled management. Is what you've done, and then you know, and then the outside you can't really con- control it as well. So that's that's where I hope I answered your question. Yeah, sure, sure. Kind of in in that aspect. Do you have opinion? And I know you do, <laughs> given the limited time that I've I've, I've gotten to know you. Walked right up to you. Said, yeah. Do you have an opinion on whether or not high fenced is fair chase? Yeah, uh, and. You've gone. You've you just hit me with the the I'm going to go there question, mm-hmm. which is what we do at Blood Origins. Yeah, I'm going to go there and and, and I'm going to ask you the question. It it depends. If if you're going to sit out sit out there and put a piece of property up and blaze it to the ground where there's no food habitat and you're just feeding them out of a sack of feed or a bale of hay, then the animals aren't going to be wild. And you've created an atmosphere where the animals are no longer wild and you've turned them into a, a farming situation. And if you're going to raise deer in a pen and you're going to dump it out the week before somebody comes and shoots it, then that, to me, is not fair fair chase. You know what I mean? The, the, all this is, there. there's ethically driven people and mm-hmm. then there's there's money driven people. And if there's a lot of stuff that's been done in the state of Texas and I've done it because I was sitting there looking at, I just bought the property next door. You know, I've got this piece of property my parents bought, and I'm trying to make money here. You know what I mean? And at the end of the year, I've got some people coming, and I'm going to I'm gonna make the ranch payment this weekend. Or I'm going to do this. So, you know what I, you, 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 but then there's an aspect of this. You can't, you used to, it seemed harder that you couldn't sell stuff to people. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. You'd sit there and have it. I don't want to come there. He's got. They're just standing there. You know what I mean. And and to me, that uh, I think there's there's there are some people that are not as educated on wild wildness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I I used to have an opinion about the pick and pay, and, and that's what I an African South African fella call, called it. Yeah, uh, pick and pay. Called it the go. Let's go to the pick and pay. There's a point to where some people needed to learn how to hunt, and they're not as fortunate that my grandfather took me at the age of, I can't right. even remember, and we sat in the barn with the window with the little, you know, it wasn't even a, a, a motorized deer feeder. It was just a, a mesh that had corn in it that mm-hmm. the, the squirrels would rattle, and we'd sit there, and there was a deer. Mm-hmm. And, and and what I was taught was, you know, this was right, this was wrong. My dad was 
very big on, you know, if you, you shoot a deer, you're going to clean it. You're going to go through, you go, you just created the, the work, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, 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 and all, and you only get one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and then that was, you have a set of tags and then you, get, you, you look at that five tags and that's all you get is what's on that tag list. Right. And now, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I don't really care for the MLD program because I don't think if you're familiar with the managed lanes deer program where these ranches just get tags and I mean, you could let your wife and kids shoot five deer in a, in a weekend. He didn't get the same experience of sitting in a deer blind. Right. And there's a buck coming out and it's four o'clock on the last day of the season. And I got two tags, but man, as a kid, I'm sitting there thinking there could be two bigger bucks come in. I could shoot mm-hmm. them both in, mm-hmm. at five o'clock. Right. And I'm in my little head and all this is, is cool, you know, and to me, that was cool. But nowadays, if you you know go to the ranch, well, shoot shoot what you want, and we can shoot two of them. You know what I mean? Then but that, that MLD, the, the MLD side of things, is tied to science and tied to overpopulation and whatnot, right? No, it's ta- it's really it, it allows if you have the MLD tags, then you can hunt er- earlier, and then you can sh- yes, it, it it was designed to to be able to manage correct these deer approved to manage more deer because you had to have yeah, because if you don't you've only got as you say you've only got your five tags right and shit you've got a property like this one where it's like well i need to kill 25 right because of the management because of their habitat to make sure that we're not overgrazing right but even in africa y- y- y'all don't need the tag system to correct. manage stuff we don't that's what you're saying so you kind of go to a little of you can have the managed deal program, or you can have the not have it, or you can, like a- Africa, y'all are able to have properties that manage the deer. It, it gets down to those people getting to come hunting if they're, if they're there for the right reasons. Is that, am I trying to get Yeah, for sure. for sure. For sure. I mean, and, it, and, and if you've got a new person coming to hunting, uh, you need to take him hunting not necessarily killing you mm-hmm. know what i mean and then and then it's nice to let the package all come together let me ask this i like the idea of wildness yep i like the idea of a high fence still being quote unquote wild because for instance you see a deer and you're like man i haven't seen that deer in probably two years that i've had this place or i didn't know, he was, know he was there didn't yeah. know he was there or we've only seen we've seen him twice and we can't figure out where he's at you know in your brain given again your experience is there a size component to that wildness like can someone have a, that wildness at 200 acres yes i mean you could be in east texas where you can't you see from see 10 feet it doesn't matter i mean you can have a section and, ha- and a square mile and have something you know what I mean? You can have, you know, t- three or four thousand acres, and it be not sporting. And you can have a deer proof that's that's a fourth of that that's more sporting. It's, it that the the size of the acres doesn't do anything. You know, if if somebody said we're going to make legislation where you can't do this on your you know property because of it's so not what this makes big, it then? What makes it wild? It, it if it's not the size, probably you're going back to the balance of just flat out management saying. We don't have too many deer deer in here, you know what I mean? Or, or, or I, we're we're at our we're maintaining our carrying capacity, which makes the deer where they're not they don't have to have your feed that you're feeding them. So you're not just feedlotting. You're not going. It's no different than going out and seeing some people that got a ranch that got cattle on it and they're eating grass to going to a, a feedlot. 
You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that you can kind of compare those two instances. I don't want to go to the feedlot and shoot a deer. I want to go to the, the I want to go to the ranch and shoot a deer. And you, you can get our. But our, you can do uh, both. You can do both. <laughs> yeah, you can do both. Uh, yeah, and I, well, I say that I say that with a little bit of humor, but that's what we're we're talking about here. You've, um, you've got the you've got some places where it is quote unquote like a feedlot. Yep. You walk out there, the deer has been placed, kind of or put, and you get up in the blind. An hour later, it walks out, shoot it, end of story. Right. But I don't. I don't. I, if you sit there and go, let's go back just to the trying to explain the ethics and, it, and let's just let's go back a thousand years and there's a there's a fellow that's got two young kids there that he's trying to teach them how to, to hunt and kill something mm-hmm. it's it could be the no the same difference as somebody driving from dallas you know in here on an alexis and they get out and then he wants to show his two boys how to hunt yep it, it, the pick and pay has its purpose because if if they say, hey, well, next year or two years from now, we're going to Africa. I'm trying to teach my boys. And they need to learn how to kill something. Yeah. They need to look, look it at it, pull the trigger, and make it happen. And so there's an ethic to learning how to hunt, knowing how to shoot, being able to do it. Is that fair, though? Like, I mean, you kill farm animals. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll get, I go to all the people with, with, with sitting here attacking different ethics of what maybe somebody that's an anti-hunter thinks or somebody that's on the fence that thinks oh i don't even think it's anti-hunters this is we're talking about hunters hunters yes the way that other people hunt i mean you got a lot of guys its wife says man i don't think this is right you know what i mean and then you got some wives that think this is the coolest thing on the planet and Mm -hmm. of course you know i walk around a little bit on pins and needles going oh let's see where this goes this afternoon you know what i mean you don't know where she's gonna go or or what her feelings and you see some kids that say man they don't want this, you know what I mean? But the kids that it's too easy and they've been taken somewhere and they go whack something giant. Right. And then they go back to lodge and stand around all day. They rode around to pick up, whack something. I mean, they got an experience, but they didn't really get hunting. Yeah. They missed it. Yeah. And dad missed it. You yeah. know what I mean? But yeah. dad's wallet. Yeah. Cut the check and he got to do something. So that kid got to do something. So cutting, let me let me cut a little bit of the mustard out of this conversation and uh, and say, there is. I, I'm in the same camp as you. Mm-hmm. If I've got money, I'm going to take my kids. I'm going to bring them here to the Kickback Ranch. I want. I it's my duty, and we're saying it's your duty, Dad, to embody the eth- the ethos of hunting into those two boys, into the, the those two girls. And tell them about hunting, show them about hunting, let them look at animals, whatnots. Do it right. Don't just... Don't let them shoot the biggest one that walks out. Or whack and stack, or (laughs) whack and stack kind of... uh, Let them appreciate it, right? Go back to the whole, you're going to shoot a doe, and that's that's what we're here for. Yep. And the process, right? And getting your hands dirty and appreciating the animal for what it is and where it's going and the meat component of it. And go sit in the blind and watch thing, things happen and, and, and go through. Yeah. You're going to go through the motions with the kids. You're going to cut the thing open and we're going to have a science class. Mm-hmm. And then in, and some kids really like that. I remember as a kid, I was sitting there going, what's that? Oh, that's the lungs. Well, I've heard about that. Well, there's a heart. Hmm. 
that's what a heart is. You know what I mean? So it's a huge learning experience. And then the next weekend they come out, you'll watch the kid that was the last one. He's like, well, let me show you something. He's wanting to show the other kid. Well, yeah, look yeah, at yeah, that. Yeah. There's, well, touch it. Oh, I'll leave. Well, why is it pink? You know what I mean? Or why is it this color? So it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's that. You're, you're wanting to share an experience. Um, you go to the hunting shows and you get people walking down the aisles and you get the guy asking you, well, I'm looking for a deer this size, you know what I mean? Well, we're looking for this and we're looking for that. They don't know what, some, most of those guys don't know what they're looking for when they're trying to take their family somewhere because they think that's what they want, you know what I mean? So the tr- the hunting business is difficult because not only are you trying, you're, you're thinking you want a product, but you actually, you don't want just the product. You, want you the, should want the experience. You want the experience. You should want you should want the experience that goes with the product that you may or may not get. So at do you think? Places. Okay, well, do you think that the high fenced operations have taken the experience away? No, I I think that the high fence operations have made hunting s- more successful. Yes, I agree. And that's what it, it, it improved the success because most of these deer leases up here would have, on a big ranch, would have 10, 20 hunters on it, and they'd, they'd kill two or three big deer a year, and that's all that went to the taxidermy shop mm-hmm. and went and gotten stuck on the wall for the memory for the rest of your life. Now, everybody gets one. You know what I mean? But, but you, there were so many people, the other 17 people on that lease signed up the following year and ca- and wrote their check and went out and put another feeder up in a spot that may have been better and I'm going to put more I'm going to feed more this year I'm going to do this and do that because they wanted to to maybe be lucky enough to be mm-hmm. to maybe try harder to attract the, the deer in so they could whack one So is it a bad one. thing? Again this is, I, again it's the crux of the matter is this idea you just you said it makes hunting more successful and there's somehow this idea and it's and it's tied to the definition of hunting that being more successful equals being easier which equals the graying the idea that you're <laughs> actually hunting yeah because hunting has inherently failure built into it as a definition it's chase it's pursuit but you can't. Here, here's the whole th- whole thing with that. You can't go and say, "Well, I have. I'm on the Hendrix kickback, 2,500 acres, mm-hmm. and if I if, and it wasn't high fenced and I didn't have any of this stuff, what would the experience be? Now that I have it high fenced and I've been, I've got a inter- pasture with a lot of introduced animals and a pasture with native stuff, and I've got what I've got. If you, you if you could go back and compare what it was. You'd go, man. I like it with the the critters on it. You know what I mean? We like. I like to look at critters. Right. Then the, not. Yeah. You, know, you sit on a low fence, and if you ask somebody, or well, let's ask a hundred people, if you saw two deer or you saw thirty deer, which afternoon was better? <laughs> sure. But the the other other thing that complicates our our discussion here is 
in San Angelo, where we live, we're in a zone where we freeze. And we're in a zone where we freeze hard. And where these leaves will fall off. And we are not the 365-day growing season that South Texas is. So there's a bunch of South Texas that isn't high-fenced, that's got a, that's a better, better habitat, better everything. And I mean, South Africa is probably the same way. You've mm-hmm. got areas where food's abundant. You've got areas where, where the hunting's not as, as mediocre. What you can do with a mediocre piece of habitat by deer-proofing it and supplemental feeding. Let's say a 100-pound deer eats three pounds a day. Mm-hmm. If you can give them one pound and they can get the other two pounds from the property, that's that was that is what you should be trying to do or at least do half then uh, you know see how you're enhancing and you're making a mediocre piece of property or just go to the plants i mean you we don't have the plants in south texas you came from a, that tecaskeet down mm-hmm. there Comana. they got wahia mm-hmm. wahia is the dun, da, da, dun. yeah it's the peanuts of the <laughs> landscape man <laughs> there's no wahia here we're we're 100 miles from the nearest wahia plant mm-hmm. and there's not you can't plant it it's not going to grow you know so you take a medi- some country that's that's not as as productive as that then you're trying to sit here and manipulate the aquarium high fence you've got you're going to have to feed yeah well, it's certainly a divisive, a divisive topic. Yeah. In the yeah. hunting community. And, it, and the, the the high fence thing is, it goes either it, it's if you're doing it right, you're doing it right. You're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, and that doesn't matter whether you got a fence or not. Um, the cr- the crazy thing is, is you you go to management, and some people. They they feel that a feed bill, or they went and bought some high powered deer from a place, and they get drawn into genetics too much they're all thinking well i'm doing this and i'm doing that and this ought to grow you know it, it there's you've got to do all the pieces of the pie in the management scheme for it to really work you just can't do one or two i mean you've got to manage redfish in the ocean you have to manage fish in the ocean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can't just put a sack of put feet out and go buy a big deer out of a pen and dump them out and everything's going to be monster deer right, right. You, you've got to do everything, and if you do everything, and the ranch you're you're going to is trying to do everything, then man, you got a pretty good I- idea. But if you go to, and in your experience, if you had to put a percentage, what are the what is the percentage of the ranches that you deal with that are doing it the right way? Fourth, eighty percent. No, twenty twenty to twenty five percent are doing it right. Twenty to twenty-five percent are doing it right. There's a lot of them that oh, it, a fourth, fourth, yeah. yeah. And then you you go to the other seventy-five percent. They're they're kind of management disasters that people will actually. You can go do a deer survey, and my perspective of what we what we found out that day, they're actually doing the exact opposite. And in their mind, they think that that's what they need to do, and they're just going further down downhill. Uh, the Texas used to have, and it's uh, some people will focus on one or two deer, and heck, they got you know a, a big ranch. They need to focus on everything. And for me, I'm sitting here going, man, these people got way too much deer down here. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I don't. We better not shoot a doe this year. And you're like, oh my god, you need to you need to whack fifty. <laughs> he, he needs to shoot a hundred tomorrow. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because he's got too many mm-hmm. and he and um it's i guess it comes back to the 
what you said earlier. It's the romanticism of getting your ranch, seeing, starting to see big game. And it's the same thing when you build a fish pond. It's all good to build a fish pond, grow the big bass, but then you need to fish it right. Yes, and, you and need to, you some need of those bigger right. fish, you need to get them out of there. That's right. Because if you if you're the, the the whole pond's going to go stagnant, you, you need to do something with them bigger fish. You get them out. It's time to take them out. No, and, and, and killing eighty deer, it's that that's not an easy task. No, but it you can do it. <laughs> it can be done. Right. Uh, the the one thing that I really kind of I get kind of pecking with people and. I guess some people will peck at the game ranch thing a little, a little bit in the high fence thing, and say, "Well, that's not really sporting." But, 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 seriously, if you're if you're doing it right and you're putting maturity on an animal, mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting out there saying, "Hey, we're, we're we got a fallow deer herd on here, and we're shooting four and five year old bucks and that thing." You you got to sit there and think, those animals got to live to their maturity. Mm-hmm. What a cool deal. You know, and then and and then you've got a deer living on the outside. Well, they're lucky to be a year old before they get whacked. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very it, good point. So you're you're harvesting everything in a deer proof at a certain age, and that's then that kind of that animal got to grow up there. You created a an environment where that was allowed to happen. And if you were going to be a fallow deer or a whitetail deer, which one would you want to be? Would it be on point. the one on the managed ranch? Mm-hmm. That got to grow to four or five years old, mm-hmm. you know, Very good point. got to fight and got to breed a mm-hmm. does, or do you want to be the one on the outside that you know got hosed at year and a half old? Yeah. So it, it that that's kind of cool when yeah. you're sitting there and you go look at the fence and the fence can mean management, you know, it can mean the fence can mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. It can mean mismanagement, right? Well, I appreciate you taking us up in the bird this morning, and uh, sure, that was a. Uh, it's a cool tool. I mean, I get I, I get people they'll sit there and wow, Kyle, we you know we're sitting at the house, got feeder. I got a two hundred percent fawn crop. We get in the air, and you got forty five percent fawn crop. You know what I mean? The numbers don't lie mm-hmm. if you go if you do the the management right, and you, and you go look at what you got. I mean, it's if if you don't have the age in the deer, then you're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? And it's. Um, Everybody wants to control something. You you can look at the people in England years ago, and in all those estates that had had deer on them. It's just, the guy that owned the place said you can't shoot young stuff, or, or, yeah. or you, know, you could. They made them shoot, learn, and grow older stuff because they were wanting to grow big deer. They've been managing deer for years, right? And 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 you get somebody else that somebody else wants to try to do it their way, mm-hmm. and a bunch of people fail. Yep. And a bunch of people do it real good, <laughs> so it's 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 that. But uh, you know, as a kid, to want to go hunting somewhere and get to see something. I mean, I remember as a kid not seeing anything, and yes, that drove me to want to go again for some reason. But I sure enjoyed getting to see stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And as we said, it it is more enjoyable when you see stuff versus you see nothing. Absolutely. And in. And everybody hunts differently too. You know, everybody's got a different opinion. I, I I popped off to you earlier about when you walk into lodges and you get to go around to all kinds of lodges and people walk you around, and, and that 
people sit there and go, well, how big is that kudu over there? Well, how big, how big is your lechwe you got? How big is that? And how big is this? And how big is your moose? And then and most, some, peop, some people have a total different perspective when you walk in. And they'll say, where'd you get that moose? Mm-hmm. I said, I got it up north of Kotzebue on the Woolick River. I said, oh, I was 1994, I was up there. You know? and, and then the other guy sitting there go, well, where, you know, where'd you get the, the kudu? I said, I got it in Zimbabwe 1997 with my friend Bob of Chicago and Miro. You, know, you can remember. They're all memories. They're all experiences. And shoot, I mean, you look through, there's a few things there. I've been a lucky dog. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. But I remember it all. And, it's, right. and, it's, and you walk in the room, and what does that do for me? This is, I'm sharing my experiences. And I just mm-hmm. like I walk into cows in here. Mm-hmm. There's a story behind every single thing he shot, sure, and I sure. guarantee you he's enjoyed every licking bit of it. Yep, you know, so that's sure. that's what I hope people will see something and go, that's a that's a deer proof fence. They're managing stuff and they're making memories. Well said. Thank you, you Kyle. Pleasure, pleasure meeting you today. Yes, sir. Maybe. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.